This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Reverberations. Produced by Alan Meany. Well, I was dyslexic. I was not, I wasn't dyslexic. I am dyslexic. So in school, like, there would have been poetry in the house, you know, naturally, but I, and would have loved it, like, when I was very small, you know, the rhymes and everything else. But then I suppose I shut down and uh, <laughs> it all became very inaccessible to me. But then I suppose when I was about 16, I met two girls and they kind of, you know, introduced me to poetry and I thought maybe it was a cool thing. You know, you'd write things because you thought that was the thing you should be doing as a teenager, but without thinking much about it. And I always wrote a tiny little bit, but it wasn't until maybe I came up here about 14 years ago. And then I think I started writing, you know, I started writing poetry properly, like getting kind of into the craft or the art of it. Out from that, it was just, you know, I was thinking hopefully maybe <laughs> sometime I can write, but, you know, I don't think it was totally serious until I came here and then. It was only because I had never had a computer before. And like, I can write artistically, but I can, I have shock in handwriting. I can start off lovely at the beginning of the page, but if my ideas start to come, I can't read my own handwriting. And I was able to put it down where, you know, on the screen and I could see it. And then like I was able to, you know, get into it, I suppose. <laughs> and once I got into it, like now I, ha I write by hand, but for years I had to use the computer. And, you know, that's when I suppose you get into writing, but then the magic begins and it kind of starts to write itself. And, you know, I hadn't hope in hell because my handwriting was so bad before that. So it wasn't nature or <laughs> it was technology, you know. I don't even have a computer at the moment. It's all broken down. We don't even have internet connection. We have it on the phone, like. I would have just been asleep. <laughs> I just kind of, you know, I kind of shut down, I suppose. You know, reading and writing was far too difficult. So like, you know, the difficulty was a norm and all that was kind of beyond me. So I just, you know, I was kind of waiting for school to finish really until I was like that age, 16, 17, when I started to kind of enjoy it again, you know? Um, but I wouldn't have, I don't know, wouldn't have been any good at <laughs> any good at um by their standards i suppose um but just yeah i never had a hard time i think it was frustrating to maybe you know my mother or my teachers <laughs> very frustrating um but i was so used to it at that stage and you know wasn't a big issue so i remember i did write one poem i don't put much um on the internet but you know like facebook my social media space I did and I had misspelled something and it was just one short poem and somebody pointed it out publicly <laughs> to me and it really just upset me. I couldn't believe at this age 
that it was still upsetting, you know. So, um, yeah, but, you know, I'm just so delighted that I cannot, like, offer words when I think of, like, being young and, you know, just wanting to fall asleep and <laughs> ignore everything that, you know, words had to offer, I suppose. Well, I like, like, Emily Dickinson and um, a lot of the Americans. I like um, Elizabeth Bishop and... And Sexton, and um, also like love Gwendolyn Brooks, but I think her especially. I remember like being that age again, you know, at um, age 16, 17, 18. And there was a book of women's poetry, and I remember one of her poems. And you know, I just I can still I can still hear the sounds. And then when I was in my early twenties, I went out with a cork poet for a number of years, and I think that had huge influence on me. You know, because I was listening to his words like day and night. So um, I think that, pro yeah, that possibly had a huge influence. And he was performing before there was spoken word poetry. Um, so that's definitely influenced the fact that I get up and say my poems in front of people. There was one small one now before I was writing poetry and I was just quite angry with somebody over something that they said. So it was quite short and, you know, contrary little poem, but it seemed to um, bring out the best, <laughs> the best in me. Poetically, <laughs> so I've always I, I let um, anger <laughs> come through my poems as well. I write about all kinds of things, you know, just uh, how I'm feeling or what I'm angry about, or I write entertaining poems as well. Yeah, I think a lot of my stuff is funny, and sometimes I thought at one stage my funnier stuff was better than anything else. But you know, it's kind of balancing out now. Anger can be good, or frustration. When you're frustrated with yourself or angry with yourself, you can write stuff. Or, it's a, you know, sometimes it's just good to write stuff. It mightn't be a poem for people to hear. And I suppose in the early days, that's what you do. You just write to get your feelings, you know, that release. <laughs> and then the better you get at it, you can share those things and hopefully people can relate to them. And I suppose that's what it's a lot about as well. People are able to relate to the feelings that you have and go, oh, yeah, yeah, some other people feel that too or whatever, you know. It's not that bad, or... <laughs> Before came and I had the computer and everything else it was very much I'd sit down and I'd start and the poems would just come quite easily you know and then I'd go back and repair them if they needed to be repaired edited but now they're coming in all kinds of ways shapes and forms the last one I said before the it just seemed to appear in blocks to me really not the words essentially and then I went and I put it down in blocks and then I fixed it into words which was an unusual thing to happen and this one was different as well. This one came in two different poems that I'm after putting together, which I can't believe is possible. Maybe I feel I never wanted to be in control of the poetry, really, but I kind of think I, I possibly need to be, you know, to keep going, you know. <laughs> you can't always rely on the magic, you know, and maybe I'm getting to a point where I can trust myself to, you know, fix them up properly and not just rely on, I don't know, <laughs> something I've picked out of the air, like, 
and got lucky with. Well, it was kind of at the beginning when I was more disciplined. I, I would be there at the desk every day anyway. But like if something came to me, I'd rush to the desk. But now it's only something that really stirs me that I would have to drop tools and, you know, forget about the kids and everything else and go and write something. But I'm able to kind of, I might write down a word or something to try and hold the feeling. But it is probably better to give yourself, you know, I, th I, I think, yeah, I think it's when you feel something, you should at least write down what you've, the idea of it and hold on to it. But I'm hopefully planning that I can do that and sit down more in a nor more organized way. But um, God, no, I'm just writing in bits of paper here, there and everywhere in every room and <laughs> in the car, a lot in the car. <laughs> At the electric picnic, I was working for my friends. They have this, had this double-decker eco-bus that they were serving food. So I was up there anyway, and I had just, you know, I had a pile of poems, and I was very excited. And I, I knew that they were performing in, um, they were performing poems, and it was getting more popular to do that. And there was a space for it, but there wasn't a, a, an open mic as such. So I had to kind of convince the, per the person running the stage that, he would let me up in between kind of, you know, his chosen acts um, and it took me two days, but I did it and um, yeah, I, I read it and I, it was just that feeling. I just felt, you know, this, this, this is what I want because I actually did, I did study performance before, you know, so it seemed like those two things came together and I kind of just knew that that's where that's where I'm going to go. <laughs> That's where I'm going to attempt to go anywhere, you know, because you're presenting yourself and your feelings and um, <laughs> it's a lot scarier, you know, you're not pretending to be anybody else. So you have to be yourself, but you also have to speak clearly and present yourself well so people enjoy it and can understand you and, you know, so that part of the performance that I would be, you know, kind of would have been okay at before feeds into what I'm doing now, you know. Gets me through the really nervy bits, <laughs> you know. So you want to carry people along and I actually, another job I did have, I didn't do much at the acting. I, <laughs> I was a children's entertainer in Dublin for a period of time. So I had to, <laughs> um, I had to entertain like maybe up to, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 children. And to keep their attention is particularly hard like so you're learning a hell of a lot you know very quickly so I think um, a lot of anything I've learned from performance probably comes from there more than you know anything I trained at. You think you go to a gig and you think oh I'm not feeling too nervous but you'd almost be nervous about that then because some of your best gigs are when you actually you physically feel sick beforehand or you can't speak to a person if they talk to you beforehand or you know but now I'm kind of thinking, well, that's okay. I can't be, you know, you don't want to be nervous either because you could mess up, you know. So I just know I'm a conundrum. I, <laughs> I don't have any, there's no set rules to um, what I get up to at all.
I knew that there was the All-Ireland every year, but for some reason I was doing something else or I just looked at it too late and I kept missing it. And maybe it was the particular year I went in for it, I was ready for it or something, you know. And I'd just written what I had thought was the best poem at that particular point. So I felt kind of confident in that that might be the thing to, you know, get me right over the line, even though I had confidence enough in the other stuff. But it worked and it was. <laughs> Yeah, it was all like, oh, there, that, that date, I can actually do that date. I can actually make it to this thing. Oh, my God, I could actually, you know, manage this. <laughs> Convincing myself the whole time, right, no, you can actually manage to do this. And then, and then you do. And, well, it's great. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So, you know, you always want to, you're trying something for so long. Some people don't seem to try as long as I've been trying. But, um, you know, you just keep keep at what you love I suppose is the thing work at it and you know you get results <laughs> I wasn't mistaken I had something to offer you know um, because everybody suffers self-doubt on you know different levels or major levels and like and you don't feel like oh you're being a fool for putting all this effort in because maybe you actually have something valid to say or to you know offer and so, yeah, you feel validated, which is, yeah, a great feeling. If <laughs> I headlined a number of gigs that year, and then we went to, I went to the European Slam Championships. That's one of the things that the Irish Slam champion gets to do. And um, that was four days off my children as well as a fantastic experience. And you're there, and they had a bit of a festival, so you're listening to poetry for four days. And, I mean, like... You know, there's no children around and it's just, it was the most fantastic experience. You know, I met just wonderful people and you're in Budapest and God, that was a fantastic prize to get. Like, it doesn't make me want to win anything else so much. It just makes me think I can settle myself a bit more now and just get all those poems together and set them out on pages into a book. Maybe I'm not competitive enough, <laughs> you know. Well, I've never, I, apart from that, I'm, I'm not a kind of very competitive person. So I was kind of surprised I, I crossed the line, really, saying to myself, you know, you've got this and all this kind of rubbish and cliched stuff, but maybe that worked as well, I don't know. Somebody that does page poetry just might, it might be very nice to listen to them read their poetry because they're the person that's written it. Um, and that can be a really nice experience. But then just like it can be an appalling experience as well. They can be reading right down into the page and there's, it's, there's no worth in it. And I think a lot of, like in the past, definitely, in the only recent past, people were putting up with that. And they're not putting up with that anymore, you know? Um, and also, like, well, like any poetry, there can be really bad poetry. I see it all the time in spoken word poetry now, but like, especially in page poetry, some really rotten stuff, just like in any kind of art, literature, you name it. So not to have to listen to bad poetry read badly is a really good thing. Maybe I can put up with spoken, bad po spoken words a little bit better, a little bit more tolerant, you know. But like um, that can be funny as well because if it's presented in a certain way, spoken word with certain rhythms or, you know, certain style, people are kind of blinded by the light as well and they might think it's good when in fact it's not so good. So, you know, that could be a tricky area too, I suppose.
are people, I suppose, that I think, my goodness, I, like I'd say to myself, they really are a poet, you know, or whatever. But I think it's like art and I think there's an awful lot of poets out there that will never write anything, will never know they're a poet or an artist or anybody. I think a lot of it has to do with chance and luck and, you know, what you were lucky to get as a child or something that came in your way or, you know. Um, so I think there's a million poets out there that will never be a poet, if you know what I mean. So I don't think poets are that special. Of course there are the ones I love, but, you know. I don't know, I think, no, <laughs> we're not any more special than anybody else or nobody's more special than anybody else really. People can be definitely more talented or more driven or more passionate or, you know, or just, or just be kind of a genius style thing. I'm not too sure at the moment. <laughs> I think it's great because there's so much energy about it because there's so much young blood coming in, you know, it's keeping it going. Um, but I'd need to go out and see what's happening more. In Ireland, there's one or two people that might be making a bit of money, but in Ireland, I'd say, you know, they'd have to mix it up with what workshops or if they were, you know, um, you know, if you're lecturing or if you're, you know, running other creative things, but not poetry alone, not in Ireland. I know, like, if you were in America and you got to a certain point of, well, I suppose, popularity, whatever, you'd be able to get the big gigs and uh, there's a huge circuit in America they do all the colleges and that's a huge thing you know indefinitely in America um, yeah if you got to a certain point you you would make a career far more easily than here I'm, I'm, I think it might be just the population so we can't have that demand for it because of the size of the country I'd say in England it might be easier again because of course it's just you know like musicians used to have to go to England when they were when they were younger like in the old days to make money so so it's a little bit like that, really. Like I, th I think it's great spoken word, and especially the workshops people are doing with younger people, because like freeing up the kids' voices, it's given them a tool that they didn't know they had, a lot of them, to express themselves. And, you know, it's a fun way of expressing themselves. And so, like, that's, that's a positive thing. It's more popular. Poetry has never been as popular. Well, maybe not never been as popular. There's just more people in the world <laughs> than there was. It's always been popular, you know. I suppose I still meet people that have never heard of, of spoken word. Um, so they might be thinking of the poetry that you were made learn in school and things like this, which an awful lot of it was inaccessible. And there would have been a lot of poets um, that wanted it that way, you know? 
it was a very snobby business, <laughs> you know, they wanted to keep it elitist, whereas the spoken word is opposite than that, it's a rebellious thing, it's like you want to relate your ideas and connect with people and, you know, give them something, not like just say, look at if you understand this, then you're worthy, you know, so that's another thing I love about spoken word, you know. I wrote one poem, you don't know sometimes where a poem will go at all, I passed this vehicle in RD and it said spiral wine cellar installer and that was what the person was doing that was his job and I started I just started off by saying what I'd seen and of course the poem took off and turned into something else altogether so you know that was a funny poem you know I, I kind of had a feeling it would be a funny poem <laughs> but you never know like, poems can change altogether and um, I had I think I was writing about crowds, but it turned into, it was, I had mentioned the Pope in it, but I think I was trying to get it to be about crowd numbers and I was going to use um, different things in the Pope, but it went a completely different direction. You never know sometimes. Once the boys are back in school, if I can get organized and just divide my time out, it'll just be sitting down and collecting them and going over them individually, I suppose, and editing them up and then seeing which ones to keep and which ones will, you know, suit each other, suit the book and um, have it in my hand and then either go to a publisher or be rebellious and forget all that and do it myself, because why not? <laughs> you know, because um, you can do that now, you can do anything. It's great all this... Um, Malarkey, snobbery malarkey is kind of, you know, diminishing bit by bit. You know, it might be a flop or it might be success, but I don't know if it's just going to be successful because it's a certain publisher, you know. You've, I've got publishers in mind, but I mean, you need to be published to be published and then you need to be organised to be sending your stuff off all the time. And I have literally ever sent my stuff off one time and... You know, <laughs> I'm um, not that dynamic, I suppose. Um, so, and it was somebody had asked me to send it to them, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> it's around the corner. It wasn't on purpose that it was near the house. It's kind of funny because when you mentioned Soundscape, all I could think of was like my favourite place in Ireland, in Ballydehob, near where I lived, up over these four crossroads in... Balabon and this place there's no electric wires up in the bog so you know it's a totally timeless place or Mayo on the beach and <laughs> so I just went outside the door not on purpose it could have been anywhere along here but I don't know that tree seemed to be the one I wrote about so we'll go back to it
just that that noise, I suppose. The sound of the ash. And then it kind of took its own direction. I suppose the things that it made me think of, I think that was it. You know, I was tempting to write a proper nature poem, but of course it prompts me to think and then I put my thoughts into the poem. So, you know, it's a collection of the sounds, but really what they're making me think about. This is Nuala Leonard for Reverberations. This poem is called Ash Music. Under the ash and not so far from the house I stand. Here in a place with the hedge behind and the road alongside, my feet alternating grass and growth and compacted blasted stone, I stand in between. Above me, ash tree branches and their leaves caught in this moment's breeze sound like a faraway sea. The rushing air brushing them together and those leaves twist in turn, touching one another, caressing like dancers do and making their own exact ash music as they move. Then I listen out for the next tree along, a sycamore, the sound more staccato, and the next tree's a gnash and then another and further a hawthorn and some elder until my mind is reaching out thinking of all the different sounds there may be thinking of all the music made across the globe by leaves high in their summer greens or fallen in their beautiful dying hues, blowing across yards, in woods and on paths to places no one goes. A car passes close on the small road and out from a ash branch a pair of startled pigeons lift, making such a fuss perhaps to warn some others while much, much higher up lines of folk are sat in neatly numbered seats on a clear flight path, looking down upon the clouds or blankly up the aisle or stuck in between, all held next to each other by an aeroplane whose engine can be heard here about six miles down. Here, underneath this ash, ash are most common of trees and tallest of the native. Cut you down and you will grow again shooting up in your grey-brown stalk with its distinctive black bud, dark purple flower, leaves, last to show for summer and last to leave before winter's back. Ash, the cousin of the olive and the lilac, protection in the past against witchcraft, but also used by witches. This tree, which may be female but turn male, may be male but turn female, may be both at one time and at one time a crime to cut it down, being one of seven noble trees under Brehan law, three of five sacred trees in Irish legend, ash it seems, the preferred wood of the old Sugan seat, when for many or most having a chair, the chance to be set up from the damp meant the difference between life and death. Ash, making music now above my head. Sweet ash music mixing with the constant hum of traffic coming up from the big road below. The sound of people traveling short or long distances, northeast to southwest or opposite. People sitting in their trucks or other vehicles for work or a million different reasons. Some traveling to turn round, some never to return. 
some leaping hearts open into the unknown, some consumed by fear, imagined or real, some by loss, others by love, and some by anger. A jackdaw lands in the ash, and somewhere in the sycamore, a small bird sings. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Reverberations. Produced by Alan Meany.